0: Hello, my name is Brent Skinner, and I am co-founder of 360 Insights, where I lead the HCM practice area as its principal analyst. And today we have as our guest on the latest episode of our video podcast, HR Tech Chat, Doug Dennerline, who is CEO of BetterWorks. And BetterWorks is a company whose tagline is closing the loop between people, strategy and results. Very much looking forward to my conversation with Doug, whose pedigree uh, and credentials are very formidable, and he has a lot of insight and wisdom to share around people enablement, performance management, goal setting, and all the rest. Welcome,
1: Doug. You know, as people are returning to work in, in a, this new work environment that we're all sitting inside of, people realize probably now more than ever, even though they probably realized it for the last 10 years, that... The annual performance review process is pretty broken. You know, it was created literally 70 years ago for hierarchical organizations. You know, there's not that much hierarchy in organizations today. The person you work probably the least with is your manager. You know, it's within people in the organization. It's all, you know, outside interactions. It's not with your manager. And so we've been talking about moving this process to something that is not so HR driven and more compliance driven because, you know, Deloitte would tell you that, that the research around performance, you know, it doesn't change performance. People hate the process, people hate getting it, people hate giving it and it doesn't work. And so we need to find something that actually helps people. And we think that's more around the enablement side, which is making it something that the individual contributor actually sees value in versus what they used to do before
0: you 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 um you got my spidey sense uh going here uh you mentioned uh, deloitte and uh and um you said that there's some research there's research out there that says you know that performance like performance review does not improve performance and so yeah well it, yeah and what are we trying to do we're we're trying to um optimize performance we're trying to help employees be better at their jobs so it's imp- yeah yeah so what do you think we're we're just going away from um from from performance assessments like like official assessments or are we just moving away from that completely like how is that how's that going yeah, to work
1: well a little background on me I'm, I'm i'm also the ex-president of success factors and so we were really at that point in time the company that was the first to build hr performance products and put them into the cloud and based on the annual performance review, you know, I think what, what I'm trying to do here with along with my, my fellow, you know, employees and all the people inside of BetterWorks, is build something that actually changes the outcome. So we, we, we center our conversations, the, these lightweight conversations, quarterly conversations between manager and employee based on a methodology called OKRs objective and key results. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one of our key investors is John Doerr, and he's literally the son of the OKR methodology. He's basically taught it to every portfolio company he ever invested in. And so the, the conversation is, well, what are your goals this quarter? Not only what are you doing for the company so you're aligned to the company's top goals, but what are what do you want to accomplish in the company? And I, as your manager, how can I help you achieve those goals? And so the employee actually sees the benefit. Well, wow, my manager is talking to me about me, helping me grow inside the organization. And. I also know that my work's actually tied to the company achieving its goals. Mm -hmm. And one of the stats, Brent, I love is 78% of people in companies really don't understand how their work actually helps the company achieve anything. You know, so you you get a big increase in engagement when you come to work every day and you actually know that your work is helping the company achieve what it's trying to accomplish.
0: Yeah. You know what's interesting about that too is, uh, to my mind, it also increases, well, how to put this. So there's the, if if you look at the employee experience, right, there's there's a lot of um employee engagement. It seems that a lot of companies where there's low employee engagement, I might just be sort of hypothesizing here, but I, I'd be surprised if I were wrong. If this were incorrect or inaccurate, it seems like a lot of companies where there's low employee engagement, there just is really not much um, appreciation on the employees' part for their contribution to the organization, and there's not enough attention paid by the organization to help employees feel good about or sort of positive uh, mm-hmm. informing to them of what their contribution is. So so the, the OKR methodology, which I am familiar with, it just on, dawned on me now, though, that that, that's, that's sort of a built-in almost default employee engagement uh, and uh, improvement approach.
1: No question, um, and we see that in our customers. They see a pretty good increase in employee engagement, confidence in leadership, uh, understanding of strategy, mm-hmm. and when they do surveys. Now, I would tell you, it'd be interesting, Brent, to see what the correlation would be to engagement score and great resignation. You know, especially what's happening. You know, all these hiring the hiring that we've done. Imagine being hired in the middle of COVID and having physically never met your manager. Yeah. I think a good portion of the resignations we're seeing from people that have never met the company formally, yeah. but overdue. You know,
0: that I, I wouldn't be surprised one bit. Um, yeah. Where Where do you find? Is there any particular industry or type of um, size company where 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 your approach is uh, especially um, you know, especially effective, or, or does it run the gamut? I mean, does it work, I mean, I'm sure it works everywhere, but do you, do you find places where areas where it's particularly
1: effective? I think it happens everywhere in all size companies. And if you look at the growth of my our company and some of our competitors, you know, you see growth at the low end. you but where we're, we're kind of focused on is we're going after companies that have these old antiquated 25 year old, you know, software applications that do old performance reviews, mm-hmm. and wanting to move them to something that's more lightweight, more continuous, again, more advantageous to the individual seeing benefit from it. You know, we, you know, any HR process is kind of what we would consider a tax on the employee. Mm-hmm. And we have a saying internally that we want to make the value of the process greater than the tax of it. So that they're willing to go in and do it and they go, wow, my manager, I'm I'm having meaningful conversations, my manager, mid quarter, end of quarter, not once a year, not twice a year. Where it's been difficult for HR people, though, Brent, is there's so many downstream processes tied to the annual review or the rating that we used to, you know, that many companies still do, unfortunately. I'm a big believer in not rating people um, because I think in most cases you might have more performers in the top 10% or 15% and not telling the middle 75% you're just mediocre and we're not going to invest in you in the way we are to the people at the high end. And and so it's finding those progressive HR people with a progressive CEO that says, you know, I know my most important asset is my people Mm -hmm. and finding an HR person that says, you know what, I'm going to give, I'm going to move away from those processes of the past and be more invested in what's the company trying to accomplish and let me help the company achieve its goals with helping people perform better.
0: What kind of um, pushback do you encounter to this type of approach? Let me play devil's advocate for a moment here. Let me preface this by saying, this is not my opinion at all. (laughs) But if if you run into somebody who says, we're not going to evaluate people anymore. We're not going to rate them. How do I know? I mean, some of my, People are just, they're terrible performers. I need to be able to, to fire people. I need some sort of an audit. I, I, people should be evaluated. This is all, you know, it's every, everybody gets a trophy. What's this all about?
1: <laughs> yeah, the participation culture. Um, yeah. No, you still have to come up with ways to, to evaluate your, where your best performers are and your weakest performers are. I don't know that it has to be a number one to a number five rating or a one to four rating. I think there's other ways that you can evaluate through assessments that you can do. We happen to believe in, I'm kind of reinventing this thing called the nine block process with calibration. In the past, it's been very much, uh, um, you know, the notion is one of the axes is your ability to perform uh, and the other axis is, you know, how much scale do you have as an individual inside the organization so the nine block would be high performer ready to get a promotion a one block would be non-performing we should put them on a list to you know Mm. to make sure that they either we either help them get to perform or or they need to go find something else to do where they can perform better than they are here and we used to do that based upon people coming into a room the managers debating on who's better than their my employees are better than your employees And and we're using all the data inside of our application around feedback, recognition, your goal attainment, all these different assets that sit inside of our product today to actually take that data and put you into the appropriate box in the nine block and then calibrate against that, but do it on, based on somebody's performance, their body of work, not what, you know, the HR industry calls, you know, uh, this whole biased situation. It's, you know, who 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 can debate the best about who's going to do well in the organization as an employee? Right, see bias to call it.
0: You, you, you walked right into, uh, and I'm glad you did. Uh, something I wanted to 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 just broach right here is that, you know, in the past it seemed you know with performance reviews and and uh, assessments, a lot of it feels political to employees, right? And and it seems to me that the the nine block assessment that you mentioned, um, that can, that can take a lot of that out of it, right? You know, and so it seems more, uh, less confrontational, less of a, of a, of an attack, uh, and more of a, um, of a, even, you know, an, an opportunity even for employees.
1: And it also depends on the company. Um, you know, I, I've, I've also been at Cisco systems as an executive there where I had 6,000 employees, And some companies want to be fully transparent and show people where they land on a nine block and other people and companies don't want to, you know, because you can get a negative effect from this kind of effort as well. Mm. But I think it's important. You need to identify where your top performers are and who's got mobility, who needs to be your next next executives, who, who who are the people you're betting on in five years and 10 years from today and making sure that you're enabling them to become the executives that they need to be. You know, so so it, it it's done so many different ways, Brent, but, um, you know, strong leadership teams are more bent on transparency than not. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, being honest with people and, you know, giving feedback to people is a very difficult thing to do. And we try to create those conversations and also coach people on, you know, we have a coaching capability in, in our company that you can take classes on how to be a good coach and how to give You know, candid feedback to people about their performance. Mm. You know, so so that's important. And I think in terms of companies that work on a culture of transparency, uh, do better than those that don't.
0: Yeah, you mentioned uh, you know, essentially grooming uh, the company's leaders. I mean, this obviously is a succession planning um, exercise as well. And it's when you can. When you can bake that into another process, uh, all the better. A um, couple of things that made me think of this just now is that, you know, some of the the knocking down of silos in HCM, right? And, and, and in talent, ma- I, I hate the term talent management, <laughs> just, be, just between you and me and all the podcast viewers here, uh, <laughs> the term talent management is just, I don't know. And, and, and it's kind of going away, right? And there's a lot of silo thinking where we have these, these um, um, sort of, uh, I would say, preconceived or, or, uh, excuse me, artificial uh, partitions between activities. And it's more of just a way to talk about it, right? Or a way to, to think about, okay, I need to have some software for this or for that. I need software for succession planning or software for, you know, compensation management or whatever. But what we're really talking about is, you know, what you're talking about is where I think it's going, HCM, all of HCM is going, where it it kind of blends, right? There's a big blending.
1: Well, you know, again, given my background, um, I think there's, you know, a few very successful, large HCM platform providers where it's, you know, cradle to grave, it's an ATS all the way to offboarding somebody, you know, it's a core HRAS application, a bunch of other applications. Well, you know, I'm kind of a believer that, that, building software is a cyclical thing. You know, there's a best time for best of breed, and then there's a time for a platform where best of breed gets more difficult and there's too many applications that are going on out there. Um, But the other thing about building software is your core DNA. Are you you a systems of record builder or are you a systems of engagement builder? Do Do you build things that people in IT deal with or do you build things that people in the company, everybody in the company has to deal with? And I think many of those successful companies out there today are more around the back end, not the front end. And so our success really is coming at some of those large HCM providers where people aren't enjoying the annual performance view process that exists in there. And they want HR goes, I'm going to put another best of breed application. And so we're aimed at that suite around performance. And we want to call it performance, you know, enablement, not management.
0: Yeah, there's that that word management again. We we want to get away from that. <laughs> With this in HCM or talent management performance, right? You want to get and then I like the term enable. But you know what's interesting there, what you mentioned is, uh, you think about points, best of breed point solutions, right? I think a lot of folks there's sort of just an assumption or a reflexive, uh, you know, idea that okay, there's going to be the next breed of performance management point solutions or um, success in planning point solutions or uh, to a lesser extent you know maybe scheduling point solutions i think that's a different animal wfm but at the same time no the new the new best of breed point solutions are are kind of doing away with the old siloed thinking which is which is really interesting it's almost an over it's even though it's called a point solution it's actually an overlay
1: Yeah. you 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 as a, as a provider of a platform with the great stuff, you can't be great at everything, yeah. right? I, I, and I, the amount of venture capital that's going into companies like my own that are trying to take a specific process inside of HR and make it substantially better for meeting the needs of today's workforce is a significant amount of money. And I think what might happen a little different than the past two, Brent, is you know, in the day, we built software that was just monolithic. It was just a giant code base, and it was all mangled together. And every time you changed one thing, you had to test it across the platform. To building software in microservices now, we we can you can take these best of breeds platforms in the future and go well. They're the best. They're the best. They're the best. The best, and you can put those together quite easily in today's environment around building software because they're all microservices and you can just in, in, intertwine them together quite easily, very different than the past where you kind of had to build everything.
0: Uh, you, you know, what's interesting there is, and, 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 you know, and, and there's a place, there's a place for everyone. There's a, there's a place for both approaches, but w- what you're describing is, and I know we're getting a little bit off the uh, the beaten path here, but it's super interesting um, is that that's an argument for, for the sort of uh well, there's the argument for sort of cradle to grave, end to end HCM suite. But then there's you know some of the emerging realities I think is, uh, that you're describing there uh, are pointing toward a you know the other direction where maybe we're going to move away from these suites. Who knows? I mean, if you're if you're a, if a um, if you're a, a platform system of record, excuse me, right? Then then you're kind of you're really like embedded into that employer's, um, you know, ecosystem and yeah. you're going to need that. But yeah. yeah, I think there's some of that going, you know, I, it, and this actually, this is a little bit of a, of a, of a, a little bit of a, of a leap, but I want to go back to something. Um, we've talked about HR and, uh, and performance uh, or your people enablement or, or however we want to call it. Right. What, what is HR's role in the performance in performance enablement, what is HR's role in performance enablement? Put it that yeah, way.
1: I think it's I think it's dramatically different. Um, you know, I've been selling to people in HR for years now, and and it's very clear to me when when some companies and, and I just did a we by the way we just had a webinar and one of our keynote speakers was Indra Noy, this the C, past CEO of PepsiCo. And, and she said, you know what I did, Doug, I, I brought one of my best operators in that I, off my board of directors. And I met him. I made him my head of HR. Oh, yeah. and, and, and by the way, I took my best operator in my company and made her the head of HR because it's it, it's moving. It's finding HR people that are really focused on the results the company's trying to accomplish mm-hmm. and then enabling the processes internally to engage the employees to help them achieve those goals. It's not just to say, "Let me help you hire and fire and not get sued." It's about really being at the table and understanding what's going on in the business and helping them get there.
0: This this fits in with one of, with one of our themes for 2022, and it's around um, bringing HR uh, out of the back office and to the front lines, right? And 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 you mentioned operations. We speaking with vendors. There are a lot of vendors where where they're where their technology, their solution, uh, you know, where it sits is is precisely where the employee uh, interacts with their manager, or where the employee needs to be armed with information or capability as they, you know, interact with the customers on the front lines. And right, that's if you think of if you think of it spatially, as HR being sort of this, you know, central function right it it typically is it doesn't mean it has to act centrally all the time but it's think about spatially that's far away just spatially from from over here right where where that actual employee experience is taking place and so it seems to me that um that hcm technology we might not even call it HCM <laughs> in the near future. So I'm, I'm, try, I'm trying to use some terms that people will understand here. <laughs> but, but, yeah. but at the same time, I'm so excited about how these terms are changing. But it seems to me the HCM is for is for everybody. It's not just for HR.
1: Great. We, again, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to move that process into the hands as a benefit to the employee and making them control it. It's like you know, when our software, you go in. In the, in, in the beginning of each quarter and you sit with your manager, write your goals, put it in the application. And then middle of the quarter, you do a check-in and you do that through going in and answering a couple of questions saying, you know, are you achieving your goals? What roadblocks have you hit? How can I help you remove those roadblocks? Are your goals correct? You know, maybe we maybe we, we focused on the wrong things this quarter and we need to redirect in the middle of the quarter. And again, that's a benefit to the employee. I'm having meaningful conversations <clears throat> with my manager about my work, not getting surprised at the end of the year that I got rated low in the company because my manager didn't have a clue what I do for work every day. Yeah. And so again, it's moving the process into the hands. And especially in a big company, Brent, where they have HR business partners who are really are trying to help a function in the organization achieve its goals and are much closer to the business because they sit, even though they're line reporting to HR, they sit in the business next to their next to their client. Yeah, and we're giving the tools to help them be do that successfully.
0: Yeah, and and where, what, how does the HR person sort of sit in that in that scenario, um, that that interaction with between the the manager and the employee that you just described? Like, what's the evolving role of the HR person? Because it's you know, there's it's always been that sort of that audit. Well, not an audit trail, but that sort of that. Uh, how do you say the enforcer or the you know when things get super bad, for instance, right between a given employee and and uh, and it's uh, his or her supervisor, right? That's when it kind of goes to HR. It gets escalated. So that when it's, when the interaction is super bad, all of a sudden HR comes in and right and HR doesn't want to be just that. A lot of HR aspires to be. Sort of the inverse of the other side of the coin on that, the the positivity and all of that. And when we think about how this stuff is moving farther and farther away spatially from HR, if if we're going to um, if we're going to accept that premise, and I don't even know if I, if I accept the premise myself, but if we're going to go with that, right? Then how does how does HR sit in that?
1: Well, I, I mean, again, that, that that's the goal here is. To get them out of being the enforcer of these processes, which is what they've been in the past. You know, they're bugging people to get it their, you know, the reviews done, and we're coming up against the deadline, or forcing people to get into a nine-block, you know, room to have this conversation. It's if they feel terrible. With us, HR is not involved in that conversation. But at the backside of those quarterly conversations, we actually have these confidential questions that are between HR and the manager on things like what's the risk of loss of this person? What's the the opportunity for this person to be promoted in the organization? So not things the employee sees, but it's getting HR involved, the things that matter. There's also, again, what we're trying to do here, Brent, too, is use as much data science as we can in finally giving HR data to do their job. So as the intelligence inside of artificial intelligence gets better, in the HR space with things like natural language processing, we can actually do sediment analysis based upon the conversational data manager and employer having in our application. And we can surface hotspots to the HR teams to say, hey, there's a really negative conversation happening with this manager and these five employees. You might want to get involved with that manager. And and again, giving uh, something they never had before. Now it's not where it needs to be yet because of the, The natural language processing capabilities, but we're working hard on
0: it. Yeah, that that's that's key, right? So 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 if if I were to sort of um, characterize this, right? So HR has become sort of a a coach, if you will, for for managers in their performance. in the in in their in their efforts in managers' efforts to enable their people to enable the performance of their people, right? And 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 now we're we're back to that that sort of perennial, uh, very important and you know and obviously very applicable narrative that you know the the HR department needs you know applicable data needs you know actionable data data that's accurate um, and that's pr- uh, not only uh, Predictive, but maybe even prescriptive uh, analytics uh, associated with that so that it can be as useful to the, um, the management function or, or the, the leadership, the leadership function of the organization.
1: Yeah, but, and that's true. But we also need to do things like, you know, build software that large organizations can do for auditability that can look back and say, Did the performance of this person and the firing this person match, you know, those kinds of things that are super important or or accessibility, you know, or permissions. There's a lot of sophistication in that software as well. But in the interaction between manager and employee, that's what we're trying to move away from HR and through the application. As an example, when you have this conversation in our application, at the end of it, it, you basically check a box as the employee and as the manager saying, this actually occurred. I've had a conversation We've face-to-face, even in the application, you click a box that says it's actually occurred. And so we, HR knows where those hotspots are, where these conversations aren't happening and are happening. And it's mm-hmm. through the technology that gives them that information.
0: I mean, honestly, that's super important to, um, to, to be able to, to step in. And uh, and stop some of these festering potentially bad situations from okay. from, from 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 really being being del- deleterious to the employer culture. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, future of work. Let's talk about that a little bit because I, I, I'd like to hear a little bit about uh, a little bit of your vision, Doug, around where you think this stuff is going in the next you know. I like to say the near future of work and and, and the distant future of work. Uh, where do you think things are going in the next few years and and maybe 10, 10 years from now?
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's super interesting uh, for me, Brent. Um, and again, having worked in a really large organization, and you know now BetterWorks, you know, is probably one of the smaller organizations I've ever been a part of as as a leader. Is is the insights I picked up when I went through this whole whole pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I used to be one of those people that said, Hey, I want my leadership team, you know, near me and around me and, you know, in an office environment. And so that restricted me to have people that were willing to drive however long they wanted to drive, but to show up to work every day, mm-hmm. to being something where our culture is going to be remote first. You know, we spent the last two years finding the most amazing people we can find no matter where you work mm-hmm. and hiring them. Now, you know, a little bit, again, my background too was I was the CEO of WebEx for three years. And and that was in the early, it was in 90, it was 97. And I thought, boy, why would anybody get in an airplane ever again when they can do all this screen sharing and video sharing over WebEx?
0: Yeah.
1: Well, it took a pandemic to teach the world that this capability, you know, and Eric, you want and Zoom. Uh, has built and brought to the world fantastically enough and the applications that support that, you know, other business applications, that you can be incredibly productive and effective in this environment. And I think what you have to find this balance of coming to the office on occasion, meeting with team members, meeting with leadership, but not every day and and leading this way a bit. And and you'll find great talent. And I think some of those companies that I've seen this that are kind of forcing people back to the office. People are saying, you know what, I want. I don't wanna live in that environment anymore and I'm gonna to choose to do something differently. And people yeah. are gonna go, and the future work is, I wanna to go to a company where they have a great culture, they're invested in me as a person, they're working on things that with purpose that matter in the world, it's not just all about just making money, mm-hmm. um, and, and supplying the experiences that you get when you come to a company that enable them to have that. And, and I think there's a lot of great, things in software development today that are taking people there.
0: Yeah. I, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, remote first, and it reminded me of a stat I saw and I'm, 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 rounding the, the, the percentage because I don't remember the exact percentage, but something like only 20% of, uh, employees in, in, in New York city are at the office, um, I think it's more than three now. days a week right now, or, or even one day a week. I think, yeah. Uh yeah. excuse me, fewer than 20% are there five days a week. And the rest are doing hybrid or or work from home completely, which is just uh, that that is amazing.
1: Well, I, I think post I, I think that's partly due to the pandemic and you know, now we have Omnicron and you know it's frightened people again. But I think post pandemic it's never going to change back. I think people are now seeing that, you know, and I can spend more quality time with my family. I call it work-life integration. Be at work when you need to work and be with the family when you need to be with the family. I'm about accomplishment of work, not time doing your job, right? And that's an important quality for me as a leader as well. I want people to be, you know, deliver the goods and and you can you can do whatever you need to do but deliver the goods and other time you spend you can pick how you want to do that yeah
0: yeah what what role do you if you were to look way out into the future and, uh, and, and the great thing about way out in the future there's no right or wrong because by the time it happens no one will remember this conversation maybe <laughs> but if you were to think about ai's role artificial intelligence's role and it Assuming, assuming you know the uh, the apparent rapid pace, or maybe not so rapid pace of its, um, you know, it's, of its evolution. Right? Um, what role is AI going to play in employee um, enablement in the future, or is it a, is it going to go back to uh, is it going to go back to performance management or no. or assessment? If you were thinking dystopian, uh, just 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 to be. Um, just to be fun with this a little bit.
1: It's going to be, it's going to be incredible, actually. The AI is going to play a very important part. Um, we just wrote an application that helps people author good OKRs. Right? As you're writing your OKR, if it's not worded correctly, we'll come in and say, hey, you need to have an active verb in an OKR, or your KR really should be more measurable than the one that you just wrote. We're going to be able to do coaching from in the application. So we're going to know based upon the last performance conversation you had that you're going to have a difficult one now we can deliver in in product content to you saying here's how you begin a difficult conversation with an employee and have a 90 second video vignette educating the manager on how to have that conversation we're going to use ai to determine your performance based upon your body of work i mean amount of things that we're going to be able to do in the future is going to be i mean we have three data scientists on board and all they do is come up with creative ways we can tell you we did a we did a hackathon about six months ago Mm -hmm. and a couple engineers went and wrote an application based upon your interaction with our okr application it made a determination what who's most likely to leave the company next and it had like 97 percent accuracy of saying this person's not interacting with this product very much, and they end up being the people leaving the company. So, the amount of intelligence Brent that's going to come out in what we do in the world of talent is going to be significant.
0: That's that's really exciting. One one of the examples you shared was a, you know, something that we did not cover too much, but. I wish we had. Or I'm glad you reminded me. Is, is you know the, the whole tie-in with learning, right? Just-in-time learning, delivering that learning object to that person just at the right time, so that's most effective. That has the most potential impact with that, that okay. difficult conversation. It's Soft important. skills.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Brent, we have a, we have an integration with Udemy today. You and they're also a customer, so you can be having a development conversation and look at recommend a couple of classes. And it automatically developed an OKR and you link it to the Udemy's you know, library of classes. And so now your OKR is go take that course, which is going to help you round out your skills.
0: Uh, t- and so t- we're t- trying
1: to do significant tie-ins to things around development and learning.
0: That that That's really interesting, the way that's all holistic and it kind of just... Uh, I Looking, yeah. I'm, I'm, I can't find the word. It's, it's, a, it's an, actually an easy word. I can't find it, but it's just this this, this uh, interrelatedness of, of all. That's probably the word yeah. I was looking for, inter, of, of all those functions to uh, to deliver a new kind of experience. That's fantastic stuff. Um, Doug, this has been a fantastic conversation.
1: Well, thank you, Brent. I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed talking with you.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Um, can't wait for this one to go live. This has been a fantastic conversation.
1: Well, good. Take care and all the best to you.
0: Thank you. You too, Doug. Okay. Bye-bye.
1: I know.